Good morning. I am going to be reading from Mark chapter 9, starting with verse 33. If you'd like to follow along, that would be on page 845 in your pew Bibles. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. I believe I can say without any risk of contradiction or disagreement that one of the finest examples of a Christ-like servant that this church has ever known was Iva's piece. Can I get an amen? Amen. She would like an amen or two, I'm sure. Iva gave of herself in amazing ways. Those who are older than me have told me that she was one of the most wonderful youth ministers, youth leaders that we ever had in the church. And then, as I knew her, she was teaching adults. Uh, she taught the, uh, the Happy Hustlers class here. And if you had a birthday, or if you were sick, or if you had an anniversary, or something was coming up, you got a card from Iva. She was, she was one of them that sent cards, and, and she always had conversations that encouraged. Iva was wonderful at welcoming everyone. And she and I had this little phrase that we had kind of between ourselves. Every now and then, something would happen, or somebody would do something, and Iva and I, we just wouldn't care for it. It wasn't done the way we would have done it, or, or it wasn't, wasn't something that we really liked. It wasn't a song that we liked, or, or <clears throat> one way or another, it just, just wasn't something we liked. And Iva would turn to me and she would say, but it's not about me. Or I would turn to Iva and I would say, but it's not about me. And we would wink and we would laugh and smile at each other because that was kind of our little joke. Now, I wish that was original to us, but we stole it from Max Lucado. Uh, from a book that Max Lucado wrote, which is titled, It's Not About Me. And in that book, Max writes this, God does not exist to make a big deal out of us. We exist to make a big deal out of Him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Him. And as wonderful a servant as Iva Spies was, she needed to remind herself of that every now and then. She needed to remind herself that it's not about her. I need to remind myself of that every now and then also. And I bet each one of us needs on occasion to remind ourselves it's not about me. It's not about my likes. It's not about my dislikes. It's not about my preferences. It's about Jesus. Now apparently, Jesus' first disciples needed that reminder also. And you hear that at the beginning of the passage that Kim read for us. In verse 34, we read that the disciples had been arguing on the way to Capernaum, on the way they had been arguing on the road about who was the greatest. And I want you to hear that word argue for what it is. This was an argument. Apparently it was quiet enough that Jesus couldn't make it out, but they were, they were splitting up. They, they were dividing the troops. They, they were taking sides. I think we get the idea that every one of them, all 12 of them, thought that they were the greatest. I don't think that's what it says. I think they were taking sides. I think there was a Peter camp over here. And I think there was a, a John contingency over here. And maybe even Matthew had two or three over here that were following him. But all of them were saying, well, this is the greatest. This one's the greatest. 
They were taking sides. They were split. They were divided. And I want you to hear it in context also because you have to hear when it happened. This, we're told about this argument in verse 34, but if you look back into verse 32, excuse me, verse 31, as they're walking along in verse 31, it says, For he, for Jesus was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. And here they are, just a few, a few steps down the road, thinking, Well, if he's going to die, who's going to be in charge? Who's going to take over if he's going to die? This has to be about someone, but the church couldn't be about Peter or, or James or John any more than it can be about you or me. It's not about me. We saw that the first week we began looking at the book. I am a church member and when we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, where Paul writes, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And today we're looking at the third chapter of the book. I am a church member. We have a nice big stack of these in the entry area. Make sure you grab one if you haven't taken one yet. The third chapter of I am a church member is titled, I will not let my church be about me. And it's in this chapter that the author, Tom Rayner, tells us that the word servant, the verb servant, appears in the New Testament 57 times. Servant. 57 times. See, that's a noun, isn't it, Nancy? And that the verb serve occurs 58 times in the New Testament. Servant occurs 57. Serve occurs 58 times. Jesus Himself tells us He did not come to be served, but to serve. And Jesus calls us to follow Him so let's just admit right up front, that is radically different from our default mindset. Our default mindset is not that we serve, but rather we would want to be served more often than not. We want things our way. We want to be catered to. We want it to be about us. But let me say it again. Everything Jesus tells us about His church screams, it's not about us. We're in the Gospel of Mark, and I have to tell you, I, I absolutely love Mark's Gospel. I, I, it might be my favorite. I love how Mark presents Jesus, because as you read the Gospel of Mark, it is very apparent that these guys are driving Jesus nuts. He, they, they are wearing Him out. He is on His last nerve, or they are on His last nerve. And if you look at, the, at this passage, in fact, just chapter 9, Prior to this passage, in an earlier part of chapter 9, they're at the transfiguration. They're on the Mount of Transfiguration. They see Jesus in His glorified form. And there they are. And there's Moses and Elijah, these great heroes of faith. And, and that's when Peter speaks up. You, you remember the story. In, in verse 5, it says, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let's make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then verse 6 says, For he did not know what to say. Or he was terrified. He just kept his mouth shut. And verse 7 says, A cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud and said, This is my beloved Son. You listen to Him. A little while later, they're coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus comes back and finds the disciples that He's left below. Uh, a man has brought His Son to them and His Son needs healing. The water His disciples doing? 
They're arguing. They're arguing with the Pharisees. And what does Jesus say in reply? In verse 19, Jesus says, Oh, you faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? And then in verse 31, He tells them, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be betrayed. I am going to be beaten and I am going to be killed and I will rise again. And verse 32 says, but they did not understand the saying and they were afraid to ask Him. They were afraid to ask Him. Did you ever have one of those moments when you were a kid where you knew that mom had just had enough of you? Did that ever happen? Ladies? When mom had just had enough. And you knew in that moment, don't talk to her. Don't look at her. Don't, don't even walk by her. Stay away from her. Don't ask her any questions because she has had enough. You've been there, right? I think that's where Jesus is with His disciples at this point. They know they've messed up. And so along the road, they're, they're hanging back and they're arguing about, well, who's the greatest? Who's going to take over when, when it's our turn? And so Jesus asks in verse 33, what were you discussing on the way? And, and, and they say, ah, they don't want to tell Him. Verse 34 says they kept silent. They know they've worn Him out. They know they've screwed up again and, and again. And they know they are on Jesus' last nerve. So they just keep quiet. They have so missed the point that they won't even talk to Jesus about it. They have so missed the point that they won't even talk to Jesus about it. And you know, I, I think that's a big symptom of when we become so inwardly focused that we think it's all about us. When we become so inwardly focused, when we are all about what we want, what our needs are, and getting our needs met, that we think it's about us, we don't talk to Jesus about that. We might talk to other people about it. We might complain to other people about it. But we don't go to the Lord with our concerns when it's not about us. I don't know if we're too ashamed. Or I don't know if we're afraid that if we do talk to Jesus about it, He's going to set us straight. And if Jesus sets us straight, we're never going to get our way. Let me remind us again that the church is the body of Christ. It's not the body of Brett. It's not the body of Brandon. It's not the body of Eric. It's not the body of any one of us. It's not about us first and foremost only. It has to be about Jesus. You know, this is a very common and it's also a very difficult problem for churches. I was going to say it goes largely unnoticed, but it's not that it goes unnoticed. It goes unaddressed because just like the disciples, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to discuss this. When a church becomes self-serving, when, when individual Christians are seeking to serve themselves rather than serve Christ, when a church becomes self-serving, it's lost its focus. It's lost its call. It's lost its reason to exist. What does that look like? You know, Tom Rainer lists on pages 36 through 38, he lists signs of, of a self-serving church. And he lists several. I don't want to take time to list them all, but let me give you just a few. One of the signs of a self-serving church is that change. Change is met with anger. You don't dare change the music. You don't dare change the order of service. You don't change the carpet. You don't change the paint because it's going to make someone mad. Another sign of a self-serving church is that the church budget is more focused on the comfort of the members than on reaching the community or reaching the world. We would rather be comfortable 
in our building, then step outside the walls of the building and reach our community, reach out to the kids in our community, or maybe even reach around the world. A self-serving church has a greater concern about change. You hear that word a lot. A greater concern about change than about spreading the Gospel. One of the other signs of a self-serving church that Tom Rainer lists, he calls it evangelistic apathy. Those are a couple of big words, aren't they? Evangelistic apathy. And what does that mean? It means we don't care to share our faith anymore. Because it's no longer about our faith. It's no longer about our belief in Jesus. It's no longer about us wanting to see other people get saved and come to Christ and go to heaven. It's all about us. And so we are apathetic about sharing our faith. And so we don't share our faith. We don't talk about Jesus to our friends who are outside the church. And if the preacher plans a day, if the preacher plans a day where you're supposed to invite your friends, you're supposed to invite your friends because he's planning a message that your friends need to hear, that people outside of the church need to hear, to hear the encouragement and hear the message of Christ. Nobody invites their friends. And you end up with an exact same attendance the week before that day as you do the week after. That's a sign that we've missed the point. I don't know if any of that sounds familiar, but would we be willing to talk with Jesus about any of these problems? Or would we sit silently in shame knowing that we've screwed up? See, it's not about us. We know that. So what's the solution? The solution is to keep our eyes on Jesus. One of the other signs of a self-serving church that, that Tom Rainer lists, lists on page 38 One of the other signs is an attitude of entitlement. Attitudes of entitlement. You know that one. It's an attitude that says, I've been here a long time. I've been here longer than you. I've given a lot of money. I deserve to have my way. I deserve special treatment. Now in about two minutes, I'm going to tell you a story. And it's a story about me. And it's a story about something I said once. It's about something that I am not proud of. It's a story I'm going to tell you because I've needed to confess this for a very long time because my attitude was wrong. And if I could get the attitude wrong, then maybe you've struggled with the same thing. But you notice from this story in in Mark chapter 9, Jesus doesn't really confront the disciples. I would love to have seen Him confront the disciples. I would love to have seen Him grab a couple of them and knock their heads together and say, you numbskulls, you know better. But He doesn't. And instead of giving them a chewing out, he gives them an example, just as he gives us himself. But once he figures out what the disciples are arguing about, we read in verse 35, and he sat down, Jesus sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be the last of all, and the servant of all. If you want to be first, then be the servant of all. If you want to be first, then put other people first. What happens if all of us do that? What happens if every one of us decides to put everyone else first? You know, that's exactly what Paul told the Philippian church to do. I don't know if you've read the, the letter to the Philippians very closely. I mean, we love Paul's letter to the Philippians. It's a great church. Great, great letter. Some of your favorite Bible verses come from that letter. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You know, we read that one. We love that verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's from that book. That letter, excuse me. But this is a church that was in trouble. 
This was a church that was about to split. This was a church that had become self-serving and inward-focused, and they had divided. There were two women who couldn't agree in that church, and they were taking sides. And so what does Paul tell them in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul begins and he says, do nothing from rivalry. Rivalry. Splitting up. Taking sides. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, thinking I deserve something more. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus has given you this, so use it. Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the human likeness, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We love this passage. I love this passage. such a beautiful picture of who Jesus is, who Jesus became for us. It tells us about His attitude. It tells us about His love. It tells us about His servanthood. But we can never forget this passage is not just a description of Jesus. This passage is to tell us what the attitude of every Christian should be. And to have that attitude, you have to take your eyes off yourself. You have to put your eyes on Jesus and you have to serve everyone. And I haven't always done that. Let me tell you about Johnny. Johnny's a great guy. I love Johnny. Johnny is, uh, he was one of the elders at the church I was at previously, a church that we had begun attending and then later ended up serving as, uh, on, on their staff. But Johnny is a good friend. Johnny was a wonderful elder. Johnny also served as the treasurer, and some of you know how difficult that job can be. One day I was talking to Johnny. He was very encouraging, and, and I was talking to, to Johnny. I went to him with some ideas. And I wanted to change things up. I wanted to shake things up just a little bit. I wanted to try some different things. And, and you guys wouldn't have thought it was that big of a deal. Let me tell you, I, I wanted to get the kids more involved in worship. Wouldn't that be great? I think that'd be a great idea. Get the kids up, get the kids doing things. I thought that'd be great. And I told Johnny my ideas. I told him what I thought it would do. And, and Johnny looked at me and he smiled and he went, no, we, those are great ideas, Brett. We can't do that. And I said, well, why not? And Johnny said to me, there are some people here who wouldn't like that, and they give a lot of money. And then I said this, help me God, I said this. These are the words that came out of my mouth. I said, Johnny, I think I give a lot of money too. When do I get to have things my way? And Johnny said, Brett, let me remind you, Johnny, Johnny was our treasurer. And Johnny said, you do give a lot of money. But you're not like that. You're not like that. And I apologized right then and there. I apologized. And I got to tell you, I've not told anyone that story until today. I apologized. I thanked him. And I repented of that attitude that said, I'm entitled because I give. 
I'm significant because I give. But I realized this as I was thinking about that incident. I realized, first of all, number one, that attitude was common enough that Johnny had heard it before. And he knew he'd hear it again. That attitude was common enough. Johnny had heard it somewhere else. Here's the other thing I learned. That attitude was common enough that I, I had heard it somewhere else. That attitude was common enough that, that I had heard people do it. I had heard that attitude, and I had seen it work for other people. I learned it somewhere. I learned it from someone. But you know what Johnny reminded me of that day? Johnny reminded me of this. I did not learn that attitude from Jesus. I may have learned that attitude from someone. I may have even learned that attitude from a, from a committed Christian. But I did not learn that attitude from Jesus. And in a very gentle and humble way, Johnny told me there was nothing Christian about that attitude. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. The disciples wanted to be great. They wanted to know who the greatest one of them was, and Jesus' words to them and His words to us tell us this, that greatness is found in your willingness to serve. And Jesus illustrated this in the clearest example that He could have for them. In verse 36 it says, and He took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in His arms, He said to them, whoever receives one such child in My name receives Me, and whoever receives Me receives not Me, but Him who sent Me. You know, a child does not have a bank account. Children don't tithe all that well. Some of them do. A child doesn't have a bank account. A child doesn't have any influence. A child doesn't have connections that can get you a better job. A child can't pay you back. A child can't scratch your back. A child can't see to it that you get what's coming to you. That's probably a good thing. And Jesus said, this is the greatest thing you'll ever do. This is the greatest thing you will ever do. Whoever receives one such child in My name receives Me. And whoever receives Me receives not Me, but the One who sent Me. How do you receive a child? You receive a child with only thoughts of what you can give. You care for a child with no expectation of repayment. And you receive a child with joy. You hear that in Paul's words to the Philippians. Right before that passage I just read for you in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says to the Philippians, make my joy complete. Complete my joy by being like-minded. By having the same mind as Christ. By having the same love as Christ. By putting others first. On page 36, Tom Rainer writes, we will never find joy in church membership when we are constantly seeking things our way. But we will find the greatest joy when we choose to be last. True joy means giving up our rights and preferences and serving everyone else. Greatness is found in our willingness to serve. Greatness is found in realizing that Jesus' ways and my ways are not the same ways. <laughs> and bowing to Jesus' ways, no matter what it costs me, no matter what I don't get, because it's not about me. 
I don't know if you caught that final statement that Jesus makes in verse 37. I'm going to read it one more time. Verse 37, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. In other words, receives God, receives the Father, the one who sent me. Do you want to get closer to God? A lot of us would love to get closer to God. If you want to get closer to God, then you serve. Do you want to have stronger faith? Do you want to have faith that's going to see you through anything that comes your way? Then serve. Do you want to know God's presence? Do you struggle with doubts on whether or not He's really there? Whether or not He really knows you? Whether or not He even cares? Then serve. When it stops being about getting our way, it becomes about, getting, about God's way. Greatness is found in our willingness to serve. And one more time, you cannot miss that this exchange between Jesus and His disciples comes right on the heels of Him telling them about the cross. Again, verse 31, He was teaching His disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill Him. And when He is killed after three days, He will rise. There's no greater example of willingness to serve than, than that. There's no greater example of, a willing, of what willingness to serve looks like than the cross of Christ. Your sin, the debt of the wrong that had consumed your life had piled up and you could not begin to pay back that debt. Jesus laid aside heaven. He laid aside His own privilege. He laid aside His wealth. He laid aside His himself and he took your sin on himself have you ever stopped to think that there is no pain in heaven we comfort ourselves with that right when someone passes away we say well they're not in pain anymore you ever stop and think jesus laid aside painlessness so that one day we could experience painlessness he laid aside an existence without pain and experienced the most brutal pain imaginable. It's unimaginable. Hung on a cross. And took your punishment because you couldn't do that for yourself. And so I don't think it's too much to ask. I don't think it's too much of Jesus to ask us to count servanthood as true greatness. I don't think it's too much for us to say it's not about my preferences. It's not about my comfort. And to lay aside our preferences and our comfort and and serve others. Because it can't be about me. And it can't be about you. It has to be about Him. And I can tell you what happens when we make it about ourselves. When we make it about ourselves, we get divided. We get bitter. We get our feelings hurt. So let's lift up Jesus together. Let's make it about Him. And let me ask, who's going to see that this week? Who's going to see that this week in the way that you serve, in the way that you put others first, in the way that you care for someone who cannot repay you? Who will see Jesus lifted up in your life? Who's going to see Jesus lifted up in our church? Because we refuse, we refuse to lift up ourselves. Will you stand with me though? Let's pray. Father, we... We'd be here another hour if we were confessing how many times we've made our church and our faith about our own preferences and our own desires. 
we've lifted ourselves up to the exclusion of serving others. And the one who's suffered has been your church and your son. We've lifted ourselves up to the exclusion of glorifying Jesus. And so, Father, if Jesus could go to the cross for us, then we can lay down our selfishness. I know we can lay down our self-serving ways for Him. And so we just ask that you would let everything that we do, everything that we say, the way that we serve others, the way that we serve our church, let it all be about Jesus. He promises, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to me. Let's see what happens when we lift up Jesus together. It's in his name we pray. Amen. And go in peace.